Welcome to the Ultimate Fighting Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Henson. So, we're going to talk about UFC 247 today, getting some hot topics, and then talk about... So, uh, I'm actually recording right after the fights. Like, the fights just ended, I just got home, and now I'm recording a little bit, and I'm going to finish recording in the morning. Uh, Kind of just seeing how this works out, kind of keep the same energy about the fights, kind of keep some things fresh about the fights. And then also be able to get a few more just details about the fights, uh, any fighter information I had, see if I can get some final notes on them, and also see if we can get some fight of the night bonus type information as well, and see what I can get from the press conference and get that all in there later as well. But while it's fresh, I want to, we're going to kind of scramble it up a little bit on who we talk about and how and what order. So we're actually going to start off with the main and co-main event, and then we're going to get into a little bit of the rest of the card. There were a couple fights I hadn't seen yet, so I'll watch those by the time I finish recording, and I'll have those in this podcast episode as well. So let's go ahead and start out with John Jones first. So one big criticism of the whole fight card was, was the judges' score calling. Which is crazy because most of the fight, a good portion of the fights actually ended in judges' decision. Some of the decisions I understood, some of the decisions were kind of like, okay, where are you at with this? Now, the last one, for the most part, I agreed with how it went. Up until I saw the strike differential. So, initially I had scored the first two rounds for Dominic Reyes and the last three for Jones. Now. I'm all about the old scoring system, and I'm all about to be the champion, you have to really beat the champion. And those first two rounds were definitely Dominic Reyes. The third one is kind of where I was like a little on the fence. I wanted to give it to Dom, but it it seemed pretty... The third round was a lot closer between the two of them. Jones was advancing some. And then at the end of the fight, they threw up the strike differential and per round. And then I saw that Dom was led by, I think, five or six strikes in that third round. So ideally, based off of that, and there weren't any takedowns attempted or landed. I think there were some attempted, but there were none landed during that third round. So based off that, Dom really should have taken the third round as well. But either way, you know, 48-47 is reasonable. I really expected it to be a split decision. I don't know why I went into this, went into the judges' score expecting this one to be a split decision. Even though the rest of the night was kind of like questionable on some of the uh, calls. So the first two rounds were definitely Reyes. The first round, easily Reyes. He was landing far more than John um and the first two rounds you see Dom doing a really good job uh evading the leg kick which is something not a lot of people do is they evade John's leg kick er, he was evading John's leg kick he was also delivering leg kicks to John and he was getting in there landing strikes being very active pushing a lot of the pace John was maintaining octagon control a lot of it, but you could see Reyes kind of just dominating the pace those first two rounds and pressuring John. And 
that was something John just didn't uh, wasn't accustomed to at first because not a lot of people do that with John and so then you see John kind of warm up to it and kind of get back into his groove of how he normally fights and there was a point where John went for a clinch uh, one of the few times where he went for his normal true clinch up against the, the cage and Reyes uh, went with an elbow strike and got out of it uh, and that was like one of the few times throughout the whole fight he they clinched like did a real clinch up there were about seven or eight takedown attempts from jones i think it was probably close to like nine because they threw a stat up at some point that said he uh, reyes defended six of the seven attempts from jones and then he he landed one more later in the fight which reyes got right back up from um in, in the fifth round and I, I really think those two takedowns are kind of what won Jones the, the those later rounds. But I think, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but I think there should be, you know, we look we take these stats of takedown defense and we use those stats. I feel like those should have an effect on how you score a round. Because when you have a guy like Jones, who is, you know, both these guys are, are college wrestlers. But you have Jones, who took down Daniel Cormier, an Olympic wrestler, and then he can't take down Reyes, or is he he's struggling to take down Reyes, and Reyes is defending really well. He's get popping right back up when he is taken down. I think that should play into the score as well. You know, not quite as much as, hey, this guy got the takedown, but it should play into the score somewhat, at least. And so that third, uh, the third round was a lot closer, at, but Reyes still led by four or five, like somewhere around four to six strikes. Uh, it, you know, it was like 21 to 15, something like that. And it, this is total strikes, not significant strikes we're talking about. This is total strikes, uh, something like that, not, not exactly. I remember it was somewhere around there. And then the fourth and fifth ones, Jones definitely came up and managed to outstrike Reyes, got takedowns, was, you know, was keeping control, keeping pace. Reyes was definitely slowing down those last two rounds. But another thing is, if you're a striker, then Jones likes to strike with you. If you're a wrestler, Jones likes to wrestle with you because Jones always wants to beat you at your game. So when Jones started going for those takedowns so heavily, you know, my first thought was, man, Jones must be pretty worried if he's sitting here trying to take Reyes down. Because I know Reyes has that wrestling background, but as far as the UFC is concerned and UFC fans are concerned, Reyes is a knockout artist. Reyes is a puncher's chance type guy, which by the way, he clearly is not just a puncher's chance type guy. He brought the fight to Jones. This has been two fighters in the last year and a half that have brought a really good fight to Jones, where really it was a split decision. I know going to the judges' scorecard, it wasn't a split. It was unanimous, and one dumb judge scored it 49-46. Uh, Dana, I hear you're coming to Oklahoma soon. I couldn't figure out the date, but I feel like a Saturday night I'm available. 
So, when you want a judge who knows what he's talking about and able to score a fight, hit me up. I'm ready to judge. Let's go. Because <laughs> I will score these fights right. I'm not going to sit here and give you a 49-46 on that because I can get 48-47 for Jones. I can get that. You know, you can you can give me that argument and that can make sense, some sense to me. But you cannot tell me you scored that fight 49-46 and even watched that fight. Because that was not 49-46 for Jones. There were no 10-8 rounds in there for Jones. There was nothing about that fight that said 49-46 for Jones. Reyes won at minimum two rounds. Jones absolutely did not win four rounds in this fight. Jones could tell you that. Reyes could tell you that. Every single MMA fan could tell you that. They may not say that here in like five months. But tomorrow, if you ask them, if you ask anybody to do with MMA, how many rounds Jones won, none of them are going to say four. None of them. Four rounds to one for Jones? What are you scoring? Like, effective striking is and has always been number one on scoring. And Reyes absolutely outstruck Jones three of those five rounds. Therefore, you cannot justify Jones winning four rounds. That's ridiculous. Now, I'm going to be right back, and then we're going to talk about some more Jones Reyes and then Valentina Caitlin. Because i got to go take my dog outside, apparently. Also, if you hear more dog sounds in the rest of the podcast, she's a dog. I can't control that. Her name is Annie. She really loves people. So we'll be right back. And we're back. The dog just went outside and she's happier. So yeah, I really saw that as... You know, I could see the 3-2 for Jones, but I think everybody saw it more 3-2 for Reyes, for the most part. Um, I would have been okay with the draw in this one. Either way, you know, a, a big topic of debate lately has, has been Jones versus Izzy and Jones at heavyweight. So... I haven't really talked much about the Jones at heavyweight thing on here because I really feel like there's still a lot of people at light heavyweight. And I think after watching these last couple fights with Jones versus Santos and Jones versus Reyes now, we really need to start giving the light heavyweights their due and start realizing there are some top contenders here. It's, you know, not just Johnny Walker. There's some top contenders still at light heavyweight, and these guys are getting better, and they're still training. You know, Jones, of course, is improving, but when you're already as great as Jones is, there's only so much improving you can do, whereas these guys, you know, they're coming into the sport, and there's so much room for improvement for these guys that in between fights, they're improving so much. It's so hard to tell where they're, how much, how they're going to come into these fights. 
And so, you know, we got Reyes, who just put up a tough fight against Jones, who many think he just won. We've got Santos, who put up a tough fight against Jones, who many think he won as well, with two bad legs. You know, these are two fights we could see Jones have again. We got Corey Anderson coming in for Jones. We got Jan Blockowicz coming for Jones. You know, we've got contenders, uh, and there's more. Um, there was Weidman, and there was Rock Cole, but they left. Stop. Yeah, I, you know, I, there's so many more fights. I want to see Jones fight at light heavyweight. I want to see him fight Anderson. I want to see him fight Blockowicz. I want to see him fight Reyes again. I want to see him fight Santos again. You know, you want to talk about being the most dominant. You want to talk about getting that respect of greatest of all time. And being able to right those wrongs of those asterisks that you put on your career years ago. This is how you do it. You know, stay at light heavyweight. Prove that, you know, you beat Reyes. Fight him again. Beat him. Fight Santos again. And, you know, actually beat both these guys. Like, beat them, beat them for sure. Make sure people know, hey, I beat them. You know, this isn't up for debate anymore. Beat Anderson. Beat Blockowicz. Go on some 17-fight win uh, title defenses. You know, have the, the record for most. Yeah, you could sit here and be a, have two championships in two different divisions. That's great. You know, that's, that's this new thing. Or you could create a record that's never going to be broken. You know, you could create a record that's not even going to come close to being broken you could be the guy to do that and in a division with killers where for so long the like top three or four guys made the rest of the division look so just on a different level now you could go up to heavyweight you could fight the guys like Stipe or Francis Ngannou and you know all these other guys but really if these other guys at heavyweight are that much of a notch above Dominic Reyes and Santos and Corey Anderson and all these other light heavyweights that everybody else seems to put them at. I don't think Jones would stand a chance then. Now, I'm not saying that I don't think Jones would stand a chance. What I'm saying is if they're as good as everybody seems to make them out to be compared to the light heavyweights, with that concept, then you should think Jones would get demolished. I think I think there'd be some good fights for Jones at heavyweight. I think heavyweight poses a huge risk for Jones. I think heavyweight's a division where Jones sees a lot of trouble and where Jones has honestly has a hard time staying you know, if he gets to become, if he gets to a point where he is the heavyweight champion, where he he has a hard time staying heavyweight champion in that division. You know, because you got the likes of Stipe, and you some of these guys are older guys, but you got Stipe, and you got Lewis. You currently have DC. He's probably not gonna be sticking around. You got Jarzino Rosenstruck. You know, you got other guys up there who are just straight killers 
and who are one-hit knockouts. You got Nuganu. He hits you. Man, you think Reyes is coming at you with a has a puncher's chance? Nuganu has a he'll flatline you chance. Like he threw, he put Overeem's like head into orbit. Sorry, I didn't see Reyes put anybody's head into orbit. Nuganu has the craziest of knockout power. And everybody discounts Lewis, but I mean, Lewis has really looked a lot better in his last couple of fights. And I know last week I was all about Latifi and how Latifi's pretty active throughout his fights. Amazingly enough, every time I record an episode, within the next 24 hours after recording, I think of like 20 different things. I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah, that would have been useful to talk about. That would have been useful to talk about. That would have been useful to talk about. I forget who Lewis fought last, but during that fight, he actually looked really good. You know, you could see the cardio that Lewis has managed to to get. You could see his fighting style. You could see him being more active. Yeah, during this fight against Latifi, he was looking for that power, right? Um, I did have it scored for Latifi, but, you know, Lewis is looking really good. And uh, during you know his last few fights, he's looking pretty good. He's becoming more well-rounded. He's getting better at his wrestling. His cardio is getting better. He's not all about just this one-punch knockout type guy anymore. And then there's Steve Bay. You think you're going to walk into heavyweight and beat Steve Bay up like you have other guys in the past? No way. Like, that one would be a war, and I'm all about watching that fight one day. But, I mean, we can always do that fight a few years from now. Because you could say, at the rate you're fighting, we could really do that next year. I mean, you you fight Santos, Reyes, Blockowicz, and Anderson in the next year and a half, two years. Then you move up, you fight Stipe. Like, it's all good that way, man. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about the light heavyweight rankings. I love DC and all, but we got Gus down at, like, number seven. And I get Gus retired, but DC's basically retired from light heavyweight. Like, DC's been pretty adamant. He's got one fight left. He wants it to be against Stipe. And this is no, no, no attack on DC. But I think we all know DC is not going back to light heavyweight at this point. He doesn't have the title. He's not dropping back down to light heavyweight to fight for the title. Like, if he fights Jones, it's going to be a heavyweight. He's not dropping down to light heavyweight again. So why do we have DC still ranked at number two? Like, let, let these, let's bump these other guys up to where they belong. You know, just up a spot. But still, let's bump them up. Uh... But yeah, Jones won it, uh, 48-47, 48-47, 49-46. Uh, we should probably drug test that guy or something. Ugh, that was rough and stupid. It was a really good fight, though. Uh, I think there's a lot of really good fights left for Jones. There's a lot of close fights. A lot of people, you know, want to talk about how 
Jones is kind of his last few fights not looking that great and you know maybe he should retire and you know just hang it up while while he's you know at the top of the thing is it really Jones isn't looking that great or is it really that maybe just maybe we really do have top contenders in this division and we really do have top fighters in this division top fighters fighting for a title a crazy concept i know but hear me out maybe just maybe that's what's happening here and a lot of people want to say oh well you know these are middleweights going up to light heavyweight well by saying that you're really discounting the whole middleweight division you know just take the whole middleweight division and chunk it because clearly they're not that important. They're not that good. I mean, they're just going up to light heavyweight, seeing if they can beat Jones and whatnot. Come on now, let's show a little class and respect to these fighters. <laughs> really, though, some good, tough competition ahead for Jones. And, you know, I, I think we could have some pretty good fights left for Jones. Uh, you know, he's he's still young. I know everybody's talking about him being old and stuff lately. I saw somebody on Facebook say he was like, you know, when he was in his early 30s. He is in his early 30s. He's 32 years old, guys. I know he came into the sport pretty young. And he looked pretty young when we got introduced to him. That's because he was pretty young. He was, you know, 21 years old, I think, whenever he started in the UFC. Like, he was young. He really was. And he's still young. You know, he's 32 years old. He could still get another 8-9 years in if he really wants to. So, uh, you know, and, and to say he, he doesn't, you know, he's so dominant, he, he doesn't push the needle anymore, it, I, I, I think it's wrong. I, I really felt, you know, I've, still want to watch these fights when fighters are that dominant because it's going to be interesting either way and eventually they're going to fall from grace um they're not going to be the champion anymore but because everyone's all like oh yeah you know Jones is going to win uh boring card blah 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 one it was an amazing card two i fell into this belief that everyone just thought this way and they weren't going to watch the card that i showed up to buffalo wild wings at 7.30 my time here in Oklahoma given we're 30 minutes into the prelims like the main card starts in an hour and a half there are people waiting in the lobby they're waiting for seats I did not expect this to be that big and a good portion of the people were there for Jones because yeah it once the Jones card ended, it kind of cleared out some. Or the Jones fight ended, it cleared out some. So, Valentina versus Caitlyn. Uh, this was actually a, a, a lot more decent of a fight than I, I think people were expecting. Uh, Caitlyn did land a couple of strikes early on. Um, she did get busted up uh, by Valentina pretty early on as well during that first round she can't finish the first round with a nice cut on the left side of her face near her nose i think it was like just up into her hairline a little bit 
Uh, but there were some really good, beautiful combos from Valentina throughout the fight. And then in the third round, Caitlyn went for like a knee that Valentina caught. And then for some reason, Caitlyn just brought her, uh, put her arms around Valentina, and then just brought her other knee up. And Valentina kind of just held her there. And then they went down afterwards. And somehow in all of this nonsense, this was the biggest mistake Caitlyn made because Valentina quickly went from side control to crucifix and then ground and pound and there I saw a couple people call early stoppage on this in a way I sort of get it yeah we didn't see like 20 ground and pound strikes but I mean she's in a crucifix where are you really going by that point there have been eight crucifix TKOs in the UFC history and like they're you're you're in a crucifix there's nowhere for you to go at that point the likelihood of you getting out of the crucifix is pretty minimal so you're just yeah you're just gonna get beat up especially when you've got valentina on top of you so yeah that was pretty good fight uh the tko due to crucifix one minute and three seconds into the third round. Valentina's still the women's flyweight champion. A lot of people say, you know, she could be up running for number one women's pound for pound. I think Jones still kind of has that. Uh, if you listen to last week's last week's episode, there I do have a screenshot of it. Just happened to be the, like. Whenever they managed to put make the women's pound-for-pound pound list, somehow they put Jones as number one. They have fixed it now. Amanda is the number one. I still believe Amanda should be the number one. Uh, you know, the, the list of names Amanda has beat consists of Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate, Holly Holm, Cyborg, Jermaine, Valentina twice. Like, she's pretty much beat all the major major names and UFC women's other than Rose and Joanna uh, but they're two weight classes below Amanda I mean Amanda's beat pretty much the who's who of big names in UFC for women And some people are calling Valentina versus Nunez 3 to happen, which I think could happen. It's just you're not likely to see that happen whenever somebody's won the first two fights. But, you know, we'll see where they go from there and we'll see what they do with Valentina from there. You know, the, the, Caitlin was number two in uh, the women's flyweight division and on the pound for pound women's rankings, Caitlin was like number seven or eight, I think. You know, there were like five or six of the straw weights up in there. So there's, yeah, it's very, uh, the flyweights are, there's such a different league between them. Valentina's got such amazing combinations. You know, hopefully we do see see some more uh, another top contender for her to fight though. 
Let's go ahead and jump into some pre-prelims now from UFC Fight Pass. These fights, uh, if you have ESPN Plus, you can also watch these on ESPN Plus as well. So they started out with a featherweight bout between Austin Lingo and Yusef Zalal. This was Yusef Zalal's UFC debut. Uh, overall, it was a really good fight. It was really close. Uh, there were some takedowns from Yusef Zalal. Uh, whoever was counting the takedowns did, uh, was a little off. I have I wrote it down on a piece of paper in my notes. Zalal got two takedowns in the first round. Um, Lingo actually got a takedown as well in the first round. There were some really good strikes from both guys. As uh, Zalal busted up Lingo's nose in the first round, it looked like it could have been from a left hook or from a kick that landed right on Lingo's face. Uh, both guys were pretty active, but I had the first round 10-9 Zalal. Then Zalal gets another takedown in the second round. Uh, that's takedown number three. He gets the right arm trapped of Lingo for a while using the wrist and just kind of utilizes that to attack Lingo with the right hand. Eventually Lingo gets his right arm free though and he uh, uses a hip, hip escape pushing off on Zalal's hips. They get uh, stand back up, and uh, Zalal ends up getting a, a. Zalal looks for a Darce later when they're on the ground, and then he kind of releases it for a second, and then gets it right back in whenever they're standing for a standing Darce, and he pulls. Uh, Lingo back down while he's got Lingo in the darts, but Lingo ends up breaking out of the darts attempt, and um, then in the last minute and a half, whenever they stand back up, Lingo's coming out with some really good pressure and trying for the attacks, but Zalal gets another takedown with a minute left. Lingo has a, a guillotine, but no pressure on it, and... He, he mainly, you know, you could see that he doesn't have the pressure and he's not really trying to apply the pressure. And then they stand back up with about five seconds left in the round and don't really do a whole lot with it there. Um, I, I've got that 10-9s all as well. The third round was pretty active from both guys, but you see a lot more of the same things. Zalal uh, kind of just taking it to the ground and winning on the ground. There's some interesting transitions from both guys. Lots of attempts from uh, submission attempts from Zalal, uh, several different ones in, in this third round. I had this 10 9 for Zalal as well. They end up going to the judges' scorecard. It, all three judges score at 30 27 for Yusef Zalal for his UFC debut to win. It was a good fight, good way to start off the, the fight card. Then we go into a Bantamway bout with Andre Yule and Jonathan Martinez. Uh, Andre Yule has a 5-inch reach advantage against Jonathan Martinez. This one, the last like minute and a half I gave it of the first round, I gave, I, I kind of won it for Mar the first round for Martinez to me. Um, it was... 
a, a really good, really active fight from both guys during that first round, but then towards the end of the round, Martinez utilized more of his wrestling and his uh, clinch work up against the edge of the cage, and I think that's really what took the first round for him. And then in the later part of the second round, Martinez made a pretty good comeback. I still saw it as a 10-9 for you all, but it got a lot closer. You all really kind of dominated that, that round, though, and ha outstruck Martinez quite a bit and kept the pressure. Um, throughout the whole fight, you see Martinez trying to maintain octagon control, and he does a pretty good job in maintaining octagon control and pressure as he backs you all up. But you all keep striking throughout the whole fight and keeps the uh, keeps kind of coming at him. And then, so I got the second one for you all. And then I, the third one, I scored for Martinez just slightly. It was a really good good round. Uh, but you could see Martinez being a lot more active. You all was, was being active, but just enough to kind of kind of keep it uh, Martinez at bay from really doing anything super significant. Martinez did rock you all a couple times throughout the fight. You know, it, it was pretty close. I had it really as a draw. So they go to the judges' score, and it ends up going 29-28 for you all, 29-28 for Martinez, 30-27 for you all. Uh, a lot of people kind of questioned the 30-27 the decision. Uh, I, I do, too. It was a really close fight overall. It was a really good fight overall. I have a hard time giving it 30-27. But I kind of understand where the 30-27 comes from. It's not the most atrocious score calling I, I've heard. Uh, but 29-28 was definitely more reasonable. Then we go into another Bantamweight bout. The last fight on the pre-prelims between Domingo Pilarte, who has a 6-inch reach advantage, and Journey Newsom. Now, Domingo Pilarte is six foot tall fighting at bantamweight i'm six foot tall i'm telling you right now i'm not making bantamweight <laughs> like that's not happening now polarte comes out uh, uh with some beautiful kicks that land on newson uh kind of right out the gate but then um you know newson kind of backs up towards the cage and, and ends up landing a perfect right hook right on uh, Polarte's jaw that just drops him and then he uh, swarms in and lands several more strikes on Polarte as Polarte covers up and the fight gets called. So Newsom picks up a TKO victory 30, 38 seconds into the first round. It was really beautiful, really nice. Then we go into a then we start off the pre the regular prelims with a bantamweight bout between Miles Johns and Mario Batista. So Mario Batista is seven and one, and Miles Johns is ten and zero, and is a former LFA uh, bantamweight champion. Mario Batista has a three inch reach advantage coming into this. So in the first 30 seconds of round number one, there wasn't a whole lot of action. Then Mario threw a knee and a kick that, that missed. 
and you know they they do a lot of stand up throughout the the first round. Two minutes in, Mario lands a really nice right hand during the combo. Uh, John lands a nice combo. It was a close first round, but I had scored at ten nine for um, Mario Batista. Then they go into the second round, and Batista comes in with a flying knee that uh, John's ducks into. And John's actually, uh, because he ducks into this flying knee, makes it land perfectly on him. And he drops and covers up while Mario lands a few more strikes before getting pulled off of him. Uh, Batista was very active, and John's uh, was counter-striking throughout the second round. And Batista just came in with that flying knee that, that John's just happened to duck into and even landed it just so much more flush and perfectly. Uh, Batiste, Mario Batista picks up the TKO victory 1 minute 41 seconds end of the second round. And then at this point, this is the point where I noticed Bruce Buffer's suit. So at the corner fight and at this one now, I feel like Bruce found this house with like some old wallpaper and they just happened to have a couple extra scraps sitting around somewhere and he took it in to his suit designer said make me a suit with this please because it looked like Bruce Buffer was wearing some blue designed wallpaper I'm not a fan of it by any means but then we go into a welterweight bout with Alex Morono and Chaos Williams. So this is Chaos Williams' UFC debut that he took on two weeks' notice. He has a five-inch reach advantage coming into this fight. And they come out. Uh, Chaos lands a really nice flurry that really rocks Morono and backs him up towards the cage. Where Chaos lands some more solid strikes that just land perfectly. Uh, and he eventually drops him with an uppercut that was just beautiful. And he uh, Morono just drops and Chaos just keeps going until he gets pulled off. 27 seconds into the first round for a KO victory. And then we have about between... Then we have a women's flyweight bout between number 8, Andrea Lee, and number 7, Warren Murphy. In the first round, they come, they're both very active. Uh, Lee, uh, Lee gets pretty beat up during the first round, both landing some solid strikes. Lee's mouthpiece comes out a couple times and it kind of poses an issue in the first round. You don't really see as much of an issue the rest of the fight. Uh, there were some questionable strikes from Lee while Murphy's knees were down. They didn't replay it. Nobody kind of took no notice of it. I kind of questioned it. I never got to see a replay to really see anything about it. Murphy ends up getting a takedown uh, towards the end of the round. It was a really, really good first round. Really active uh, first round from both of them. It was just an all-out war throughout the whole fight. And one of... Definitely one of my favorite fights of the night, for sure. I gave the first round 10-9 to Murphy. Then the second round was a lot of the same thing. A 
big striking exchange from both girls. Uh, if I recall correctly, Murphy actually ends up getting cut up on her left side, I want to say. And uh, both of them just looked... They, they, you know, they look like they're, they're in a war, and they really were. It's really good. I gave the second round to Murphy as well. And then in the third, Murphy comes in, uh, but Lee catches her, and Lee immediately jumps down and locks in a guillotine. And then Lee releases it after about a minute with not much luck. They sprawl back to standing. Murphy looks pretty tired. Lee with the takedown attempt. Murphy stuffs it. And then Lee finishes the round with several uh, body strikes. And Lee was a lot more active during this third round. Um, and, and with the wrestling throughout the third round. I gave the third round to Lee for you know, a pretty close fight. It ends up going to the judges scorecard. 29-28 Lee. 29-28 Murphy. 30-27 for Murphy. For... Your winner by split decision, Warren Murphy. A lot of people had an issue with the 30-27. I do as well because I don't see a world where you give the third round to, to Murphy. The third round was definitely for Lee. You know, the other rounds were a lot closer, but the third round was definitely for for Lee. I mean, I, I don't... I, I really just don't see how you give the third round to Murphy. But... You know, the, the judges' issues were quite, kind of a thing throughout the, the night. Then we have a middleweight bout between number uh, between Trevin Giles and James Krause. So James Krause took this fight on like 24 hours notice. He, he uh... Uh, you know, a little bit more. I think it was like 36 hours notice, but he didn't get cleared till after 9 o'clock Friday night for this fight. So, uh, crazy props to James Krause for that. That's crazy. He did make weight um, by a couple pounds, too. So, they go into the first round. Cross uh, takes Giles back, and Giles is bent while standing. But Cross, uh, like he's bent where he's trying to to get Cross off of him. But Cross gets the rear naked choke in. Then Giles drops to the mat, uh, and then it's just, they're just kind of wrist wrestling, trying trying to get the upper hand. See see who can you know maintain wrist control. But uh, Cross also has a body triangle on uh, Giles. And so Giles keeps trying to rotate to, to get out of it. And you can see his upper body almost rotated all the way, but his lower body still kind of stuck in there. And he eventually does manage to rotate out of it. Um, so then he rotates into the top, to across his top guard with 30 seconds left up against the cage. And Giles lands some nice shots while they're there, and they stand up, and then they clinch. I had this one 10-9 for Cross, but it ended up being uh, pretty close as the round got closer to the end. Then we go into round two, and I gave this one to Giles. There were lots of strikes. Uh, with it being more of a stand-up, Giles was winning the stand-up 
a lot more. And Krause had some issues keeping his hands up. Uh, he tries... He tr tries to do this ducking maneuver uh, um, as he's kind of trying to not get hit. And eventually they end up on the ground. Uh, there is some ground and pound from Giles. Arunic get choked from uh, Giles in the last, like the last second of the round. And so I gave this one 10 9 to Giles. Uh, Depending on how you score it, you could get a 10-8, but I really I really see 10-9 for Giles. And the third round was relatively close. Uh, Cross came in with some strikes at first. You can visibly see both guys are pretty tired, but Giles had uh, kind of has two different strikes. One where he misses like wildly and just looks like some crazy strikes. Or one where he, he looks like he's trying to take your head off with it. And so when he does land it, they're just super solid strikes. They're super tough. Uh, but, you know, it was a really good round. It was a lot closer. Both guys were landing some strikes. I could see the third one going either way. Uh, so it ends up going to the judges' scorecard. 29-28 for Giles. 29-28 for Cross. 29-28 for Giles for a split decision victory. Really good fight. Really close fight. Uh, huge props for Cross taking this fight on 36 hours notice and you know almost winning this fight as well. You know, with like no training camp. Huge props. He wasn't even on the card 36 hours ago. You know, we've seen people come up and take a fight. But they're like on the card or they've been in training camp, you know, for a, as a backup fighter. This wasn't even the case. So from there we, from there we have our first fight on the main card with about between number six, Derek Lewis and newcomer, Alir Latifi. So... Funny enough, every time I record this podcast, within 24 hours of doing it, I think of so many things, and last week, after I recorded the podcast and sent it out, the next day I'm at work and I'm thinking, oh wait, I remember Derek Lewis just had a fight not that long ago, and his cardio was looking pretty good, and he was looking pretty good, like he improved quite a bit. I was like, man, he was actually pretty active during that fight. I completely forgot that fight. Well, cool. <laughs> you know, so that fight didn't have like any perspective of how I had made my picks last week, and I went into last night thinking, yeah, okay, I could see, you know, I could, I, I could see this going for Derek Luce for sure. Now, oh, this is a uh, another one where the scoring was kind of just like what, and. So, Derek is actually from Texas, and his fight card was in Texas, and I don't want to say anything like, okay, maybe the judges were picking Derek because he's from Texas or whatnot. But, you know, that, that, that's kind of how it seemed. Uh, you know, it was a good fight uh, fight overall. From Latifi, what you saw was a lot of uh, wrestling, and you, you did see a few strikes from Latifi, but, the, you know, you really saw Latifi going for the takedowns, going for the clinch, going for the wrestling, trying to use that, 
to to win the fight. When he did go, when he did get the takedowns on Lewis, he would uh, be in a he'd be in half uh, half mount, and he would have uh, he'd be using it. He would be attacking Derek Lewis's right side and then punching on Derek. Uh, he would switch it every now and then. He'd switch up and hit Lewis in the face with his left hand. Or if he was on the other side in half mount uh, for the next takedown, he'd be doing the same thing but with the opposite hands. And then Lewis had some really good takedown defense throughout the fight. You really see his wrestling skills improving uh, in his last several fights. And then he comes out in the uh, in the third round. He re- he comes out swinging pretty hard, looking for that knockout. Uh, you could you know tell he he kind of felt like he might uh, be he might lose the fight. But I had the second two rounds ten nine for Latifi, and you, you see Derek Lewis coming out in each round. He comes out with a flying knee, and then they uh, Latifi would initiate the clinch. And Lewis landed some really nice knees and elbows throughout the fight, but Latifi kept getting the takedowns and the half mounts and the striking and do- and putting the pressure and the pace on the fight. And there was a point in time where Big Dan stood him up. I didn't actually agree with that one, that stand up because Latifi was still he was in a dominant position. He was staying active. Uh, I had it 29-28 for Latifi. All three judges scored at 29-28 for Lewis. Um, some people disagreed with this and, and thought Latifi had it, had the victory. Uh, I think Latifi had the victory. I think, you know, I, I think if Latifi's going to strive to wrestle, I don't think this is the division for him to do that in. We've seen some wrestlers come in to heavyweight, unless you're like a DC or a Steve Bay as far as wrestling goes I don't think you're going to make it too far with your wrestling in, in here and you know you've got fighters like Lewis and Nagano and Rosenstruck who have this knockout power who are just going to you know take your wrestling make it null and void and they're not going to care about your wrestling and you know Lewis who he he, he wasn't super great at wrestling takedown defense before and he's been getting a lot better with it so i think that if this is any indication i think you know latifi's probably better off down at light heavyweight but we'll see where he goes from here i think latifi should have won this fight but i don't think it's a huge like robbery or or anything it was a pretty close fight overall so 29-28 for Lewis doesn't really disturb me too much. Initially, I thought the judges scored at 30-27, but uh, 29-28 is definitely more reasonable. Then we go into a featherweight bout between Mursad Bektik and Dan Ige. So, in the first round, Ige lands some solid strikes as Bektik uh, stand, is standing back up. There's some really good striking from EA throughout the first round. I had the first round score 10-9 for EA. And it, it, it was a really good round overall. Then they go into the second round. Bektik got a takedown and gets into side control. 
but Ige refuses to give Betik his uh, right arm. He has it trapped in a, a triangle, um, in a leg triangle, so he can't get it out and use it. Eventually, Bektik uh, gets it out, rotates north-south, then into side control, then they scramble uh, to the back, and then they stand back up. And Bektik gets another takedown. Ige uh, tries to push Bektik down and uh, use it, like, pushing on his shoulders and his hips. Um, Bektik ends up looking for an Americana with about two minutes left, and his left, uh, but his his left leg is actually trapped in Ige's uh, tri triangle, like a leg triangle, so that he can't get it out and get the Americana in deep. Um, Ige does eventually get out. Ige transitions, but in the Bektik uh, to guard, and then a half mount. While Ige looks for an armbar. And Bektik ends up getting out of the armbar. At the end of the round. I gave this one 10-9 to, to Bektik. He was a lot more active during that, that second round. It was pretty good. Um, when they were on the ground. Which was the majority of the round. He, he had the dominant position. He was looking. He was progressing. He was looking for the submissions. Then we go into the third round. And there's a takedown attempt that gets stuffed, and eventually the ref uh, breaks them up. Because after the takedown attempt, they're kind of just clinched up, and he's still trying for a takedown. And then Bektik gets two takedowns th uh, throughout the last round, but not a whole lot comes to them, except just like a whole bunch of transitions. So... There wasn't a whole lot in in this third round other than just a lot of wrestling transitions. I had this third round as a draw. So I had the fight overall as a draw because I gave the first to Ige, the second to Bektik, and the third as a draw. Then we go into a split. Uh, we go to the judges' scorecard. 29-28 Bektik, 29-28 Ige, 29-28 Ige for the split decision victory. It was a pretty good fight overall. Lots of uh, grappling and wrestling in this fight, but you know, Ige did what he could and uh, did decent job defending most of the takedowns and really good job with uh, the striking when he could. Then we go into a heavyweight bout between Juan Adams and Justin Tapa. If I recall, I picked Adams, and I picked this one wrong. Um, <laughs> so, this was really, really beautiful. Juan Adams uh, came came in, but uh, Justin Toff actually drops him. He lands a right hook that rocks Juan Adams, and then drops him with a picture perfect uppercut uh, prior to that there there wasn't a whole lot and the first like minute and a half of the fight they just kind of circled around for the most part didn't really land a whole lot and then Justin Toppa landed this beautiful combination this picture perfect uppercut and then just drops one Adams and lands a couple more before the fight gets called off for a TKO round one, uh 
1 minute 59 seconds into the first round. Then we go into the co-main event of the evening with a women's flyweight bout for the title with Valentina Chevchenko versus Caitlin Chukagan. So this was one of the biggest, like, biggest odds discrepancies between fighters, I think, in UFC history. Whereas Valentina was a negative 1,000, I think. I don't know what the lowest you can be is. But Valentina was a negative 1,000 and then Caitlin was a uh, plus 650. So if Caitlin, if you would have bet on Caitlin and Caitlin would have won this and you put like 10 bucks on Caitlin, you would have got 65. Or if you put 100 on Caitlin and she won, you would have gotten 650. But she did not win and you would have gotten nothing. Uh, Valentina was pretty dominant throughout the whole fight. Uh, Caitlin did land some good, some good strikes throughout the first two rounds. Caitlin did get sliced up on uh, near her left ear. It looked like just under her hair, her headline maybe, her hairline. Um, she landed some strikes early on, but Val came in later and pretty hard, and and uh, they ended up on the ground. And Val got some really good strikes in. I gave it ten nine to Valentina, and then in round two there was a beautiful spinning heel kick from Valentina that landed. Uh, there was a takedown that uh, landed in the half guard. Valentina just has uh, some beautiful strike combos throughout the, the second round. Uh, there was some nice pressure on the ground for Valentina as she laid over Cat. Uh, as she laid over Caitlin, just kind of pressuring against Caitlin's uh, torso, not really letting her uh, be able to do much. She gets into Caitlin's full guard and is utilizing her legs to. Uh, Caitlin gets her in full guard and is like utilizing her legs to keep Valentina there and not letting Valentina pass. Uh, 10-9 for Valentina. And then we go into round three. There's some really nice, uh, some leg kicks from Caitlin. And then Caitlin goes for a knee, but Valentina catches it as uh, Caitlin throws it. And then for some reason, Caitlin wraps her arms around Valentina's head and lifts her other leg up so Valentina's basically holding her up and they like somehow Valentina dropped her and transitioned into side control quickly got Caitlin's arm uh, trapped in the leg and then trapped her other arm and got it into a crucifix and then just ground and pounded from there it lasted maybe five to eight seconds more once she got into the crucifix and then just kept doing ground and pound it was really beautiful finish. Uh, the eight, if I recall, the eighth TKO cru uh, crucifix victory, and a lot of people said it was a little bit early. Uh, yeah, not exactly. Like, yeah, they were only there for a couple seconds. There were only a couple strikes thrown by Valentina, but there was no defense from Caitlyn because there wasn't a way for Caitlyn to defend it. She was stuck in a crucifix. There wasn't going to be a way for Caitlyn to really defend it. She was going to get destroyed uh, once she got stuck in that crucifix. Crucifix is a deadly position to get stuck into. Not an early stoppage by any means. You know, the, the ref knows once you're stuck in this position, there's not a whole lot that can really be done as far as the events goes. So he's got to do what he can to, you know, to make sure you're all right throughout this fight. 
Then we go into the third round, or to the main event, I mean. Uh, we talked some about the John Jones fight already. Uh, I'm not going to touch a whole lot more on it. I I still stand by my thoughts on the fight, even after, uh, you know, going back, re-looking at stats, re-watching stuff, looking at the stats. Yeah, it, you know, it was a close fight. Uh, two, the way I saw it was, was really the third round was what was the deciding factor of the fight. You know, the first two rounds are clearly for Reyes. The second two rounds are clearly for Jones. The third round is kind of where it gets kind of hit or miss on, okay, do you give that to Reyes? Do you give that to Jones? Uh, a lot of people said the third was clearly for Reyes, and the second was kind of where it was close. I significantly disagree. There was nothing in the second round that said Jones won that second round for sure. Whereas Reyes, he easily outstruck Jones by quite a bit. I believe he outstruck Jones almost two, uh, two to one. Uh, there was no takedowns. There were no takedown attempts. The only thing Jones had going for him in the second round is he did have some octagon control throughout portions of the second round. But Reyes was really putting the pressure on those first two rounds. And then the last two rounds, Jones was putting the pressure on. So really, it comes down to that third round. Uh, I, I, I really am all about the mindset of to be the champ, you have to beat the champ. And so for me, I want to say Jones, but I mean with that third round being the way it was, I could see Ray is... Either way you cut it, I could see it either way. It was a really close fight. I'm not going to be upset either this, Either thing you tell me. The only thing that would upset me is you saying that this fight was 49-46 because in no situation was this fight 49-46. It was a good fight overall between both guys. I really want to see uh, Jones stay at light heavyweight, do the Santos rematch, do the Dominic Reyes rematch, Fight Corey Anderson, fight Jan Blockowicz. Um, if Walker or somebody else manages to get up there in title contention within the next couple years, then cool, fight them as well. But right now, I think those four guys for sure keep you busy for the next year and a half. And then after that, if you want to and you, you feel like you've proven everybody that, yeah, you are the best there is at light heavyweight for sure. Then yeah, go up to heavyweight, because at this point it's kind of questionable. Uh, there's some, some fights that have been pretty close for you at, at light heavyweight. So, cool. even more cool props to Cross is the Cross-Giles fight was fight of the night. Both guys are going to take home an extra 50,000 bonus. And then performance of the nights go to uh, Mario Batista and Chaos Williams. Both on the prelims. So, Journey Newsom, uh, who had actually you know won with that thirty-eight second knockout, was actually transported to the hospital after the fight, according to Brett Okamoto via Twitter. He said he'd update as soon as he heard things. I never really saw an update yet, so. You know, maybe we'll see some some stuff about that later. Uh, hopefully, he's okay. Now, the cross fight. Giles was originally supposed to fight Antonio Arroyo, 
but he pulled out, uh, he withdrew from the fight, citing um, cramping. Wasn't it said what that was officially from? So it was some medical thing that he, he had to get taken care of. Cross came in with like 36 hours notice and said he'd take the fight. Didn't get clear to about 9 p.m. According to Mark Ramundi on Twitter, he didn't get cleared from the Texas Department of Licensing and, and Regulation till after 9 p.m. to fight. Which is still really crazy. So, uh, Bellator signed Macy Barber's brother, Wyatt Barber. Now, I saw this on online. Um, I feel it was a little disrespectful to Wyatt because some articles I said I saw just headlined it: Macy Bar Barber's brother signs with Bellator. Uh, does he not have a name? A little rude, don't you think? Like, what would you think if ah? Uh, it just said, MMA journalist writes headline without name. Doesn't even give you any credit there, does it? No, no, not just, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so-and-so's brother, cool. A little messed up. From what I hear, he's pretty good. He's got an undefeated, I believe he's undefeated. If he's not, he has one loss, if I recall correctly. But, he, you know, he's got some skill. He's going into Bellator. Hopefully he does pretty well. And we see some good things from him. He's still, he's pretty young as well. He's uh, Macy's younger brother. Um, Wideman made a post on Twitter and Instagram. Talking about being ready for his upcoming fight. Uh, or looking for a fight in April. I want to say it was April, May, or June. I can't remember. But within the next couple months, he's looking for a fight. But he wants that fight to be back at middleweight. You know, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. You know, if he if he wants to go to middleweight, then cool on him. But for me, it's like okay, I'm all about people not cutting weight and fighting at their natural weight, and. If you can make 205 and you can make 205 comfortably and you don't have to cut weight and you can focus more on your fight camp and being able to improve your your skills, then I'm all about that. But if Weidman wants to go back down to middleweight, yeah, then, then so be it. Go down to middleweight. Hopefully he gets a, a good, decent opponent and he can maybe kind of turn his uh, middleweight career back around. Now, there's a few fight announcements for uh, UFC Portland on April 11th. Overing, uh, Alistair Overeem versus Walt Harris will be the headliner for that one. So, it's cool to see Walt Harris getting back in there. Uh, tough fight against Alistair Overeem. I think that'll be a really good fight between those guys. Glad to see Walt getting back in there. Sorry about your loss, Walt. And hopefully we you know we see a victory from Walt on rooting for him on that one. Now also a couple fights also announced on that card are gonna be Tristan Conley versus Da Silva at Lightweight. This will be Tristan Conley's debut at Lightweight. His first fight in the UFC was at Welterweight on short notice against Michael Piera. 
And we did sit down and interview with Tristan Conley, and that's in our uh, archive archives here. If you want to listen back to that, it was a pretty cool interview. Um, so really happy to see that guy be able to get back in there, get another fight. I know he was looking for a fight, but to happen back in December, uh, unfortunately it didn't. But luckily we can see him here in the next couple months. And hopefully he gets to pick up another victory in this time at lightweight. And we also have Michelle Watterson coming back. And against Carla Esparza. That'll be a really good one. I'm excited for that one as well. Uh, we all, I think we all love watching Michelle Watterson fight. Uh, es- Esparza is a really good fighter as well. She's had you know her ups and downs recently. But you know, I think that'll be a good fight overall. And it'll probably be a huge scrap. Huge war. So next week is Valentine's Day weekend. And we do have some fights for next week. I'm excited about this one. So this one... This one is going to be UFC Rio Rancho. It is Ander- Corey Anderson versus Jan Blachowicz. And I'm excited about that. That should be a pretty good fight. Corey Anderson's last fight was against Johnny Walker, and that was really good. And then we had Jan Blachowicz, I believe, against Luke Rockhold. And Jan uh, who who was it? Jan fought some other uh, one more guy as well. Uh, won both of those is really good. Uh, this should be should determine our next title contender, and that'll be really good. So on the prelims, on the prelims we have a flyweight bout between Mark De La Rosa and uh Relian. Paiva, I am gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Paiva. And then we have a women's bout with Macy Kaisen versus Nico Montano. So Nico Montano is the former champion. She did not defend her title, I believe that was at Flyweight. Yeah, I want to say a flyweight. She did not. She was not able to defend her title. She actually had to pull from the fight due to some medical reasons, and then was actually stripped of her title. One of the rare instances where I disagree with a stripping of a champion. And so, hopefully, Nico Montano can win this fight and get back up to a title fight. It's a bummer that she's on the prelims for this. She, ouch. Definitely big fall from Grace. She is now ranked number 14. I don't know what division this fight's going to be taking place out. Macy's ranked number 12. But I'm going to go with Montano. And then we have a bantamweight bout between number 15, Casey Kenny, and unranked Marab. The Valishvili. Valish Villa. Villa. I'm going to go with Casey Kenny. And then we have a light heavyweight bout between Devin Clark 
and Gajumarod Antiglobe. I'm going to go with Clark. Then we have a lightweight bout between Jim Miller and Scott Holtzman. Oh, I'm actually really excited about that one. I don't know who to pick on that one. I love Jim Miller, and I'm probably going to regret this, but I'm going to go with Holtzman. And then we have a bantamweight bout between John Dodson and Nathaniel Wood. Uh, both are really good fighters. Uh, Nathaniel Wood's been on, coming up, but I gotta pick Dodson on this one. Love Dodson. Love watching him fight. And then we have a welterweight bout between Tim Means and Daniel Rodriguez. I'm going with Tim Means on this one. Then we start off the main card. With a lightweight bout between Lando Venata and Yancey Medeiros. I'm going with Yancey on that. And then we have a flyweight bout with Rogario Bontorin and Ray Borg. I'm going to go with Borg on that one. It appears that Rogario... Is actually ranked number seven in the flyweight division here. I'm not sure why Ray Borg's no longer ranked, probably because I'm guessing he was one of the fighters that kind of disappeared from flyweight and then came back, and so they're kind of redoing all their rankings at flyweight. But hopefully, he wins that one and gets ranked again. Then we have a lightweight bout between Brock Weaver and Kazula Vargas. I'm going to go with Vargas on that one. Then we have a women's flyweight bout between Montana De La Rosa and Mara Romero Barella. I'm going to go with De La Rosa. Uh, De La Rosa is ranked number 12 and Barella is ranked number 13. And then the co-main event is a welterweight bout between Diego the Nightmare Sanchez and Michael Piera. Michael Piera was the guy who fought against Tristan Conley and was doing all the crazy maneuvers and then lost. I'm going to go with Diego on this one. Got to root for Diego. You know, love the guy. He's been around forever. And then in our main event, we have a light heavyweight bout between number five, Corey Anderson, and number six, Jan Blakowicz. See, I have to imagine the winner of this one's going to get the next title shot against John, because number two at light heavyweight is DC. Then you have number uh, number one, Santos. Number two, DC. Number three, I believe, is... Oh, who's number three? Oh, Smith. Number three is Smith, and then number four is Reyes. So if Anderson beats Blockowicz pretty definitively... Before Smith wins his fight, you know, I think Anderson can make an argument for either Anderson or Blockowitz could make an argument for being the next to fight for the title. I'm rooting for Anderson. I believe he's kind of, he's been fighting his way to a title shot for quite a while now and he's looked pretty impressive in many of his fights. Uh, Jan, I believe, will get to a title shot eventually, but I think Corey uh, should be next. So hopefully he wins that. 
Uh, I might be wrong, though, because my picks <laughs> are always kind of just like 50-50 on whether they're right or wrong. Let's take a look back at my picks for this last one. On the prelims, I had Martinez beating Ewell. I got that one wrong. I had Newsom winning. So, got one, one for two so far. And then I had John beating Batista. Got that one wrong. I had Morono beating... Uh, I had initially, initially picked Morono to beat Chaos. I had switched it to Chaos er, earlier this week. But even with that, you know, if you count that one right for Chaos, then I'm still at two out of four right. I'd picked Lee over Murphy, got that one wrong, so two out of five. I'd picked Giles, but at the time, Kraus wasn't coming in to fight. Giles still won, so three out of six. Then I had picked Latifi over Lewis. Lewis actually won, three out of seven. I'd picked Ige, Ige won, four out of eight. Juan Adams lost. 4 out of 9, Valentina 1, 5 out of 9, or 5 out of 10, and John 1, sort of uh, 6 out of 11, which is just over 50%. Pretty rough. Um, <laughs> so maybe, you know, maybe I'll get those ones right. We'll see. But uh, thank you everyone for listening. I think we're on like episode 19 now. We've got some really exciting fights coming up in the next several months. And next week's fight card is pretty exciting as well. Corey Anderson versus Blockowicz. You've got Sancho's versus Pierre on there. Uh, that one's going to be exciting just because both those guys are crazy fighters when it, when it comes into to there. So that'll be a good card. We got some other super exciting cards coming up. Some super exciting title fights coming up in the next couple of months. And we'll be back next Sunday. Uh, find us on Twitter at UFP2019 to see all of our funny content and all of our opinions of trashing refs and everybody else in the MMA media outlet as well. You can find us at, on Facebook at UFP. Uh, at UFP-Ultimate-Fighting-Podcast. You can subscribe for free and download it automatically downloads every episode every week when it comes out on iTunes. Um, I believe Spotify, you can subscribe as well. I'll check that out. Google, Podcast One, all your major podcast platforms. Just search uh, Ultimate Fighting Podcast. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you all next week.